Despite some mild turbulence on the flight there, Central City seemed to be the same. At first glance. There were minor differences that we couldn't quite place, but there were some glaringly obvious discrepancies too. It wasn't until we saw the tin hat and crimson blur of old, along with a second scarlet speedster, that we knew something had gone awry. Hi, my name is John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every reversible finish. This is it, baby. This is the big one. We did it. Oh, man. This is... I'm... I have things to say, and I know you know what I'm going to yell about. <laughs> I I mean, I know what general issue you're going to yell about. I don't know <laughs> what exactly you're going to focus on. Here's the thing. Is, all right. Well, let's just let's just get into it, all right? We were, we've been building up to this. If you haven't been with us for the last 10, 15 episodes, this is it. This is The Flash. We're back at The Flash now so that we can get into Justice League because the next Justice League storylines are directly going to reference what happens in The Flash storylines. That's a big deal. So, uh, Joanne, I promise I will try to do this much shorter, but I think we'll get into a lot of our expository points in the in the sum, summaries of these as we go through them because these are a little bit more involved and we're covering about eight issues from... Uh, the Flash 119 to Flash 126 in 1961. So we're going to start with 119, March 1961 of The Flash. Uh, Mirror Master, Sam Scudder, uh, back again out of jail. He develops a way to paralyze slash hypnotize The Flash with a uh, mirror duplicate of The Flash that if he shoots, The Flash is then under his control. He then uses the Flash to do a bunch of superfluous exotic things like get him dates from an exotic location, get him snow from the Himalayas. And then he's like, all right, now I want you to start stealing for me. But of course, as the Flash points out in a stupid Flash fact that I doubt is a real thing, but you know, that may be me not really believing that much in hypnosis. He says that if you ask someone who is under hypnosis to steal and it is against their general nature, then they will wake up from hypnosis. So the Flash, when then asked to steal wakes up, realizes what's going on, beats the Mirror Master, and sends him back to jail. That is the end of the one of two stories within this Flash issue. The second one is an Elongated Man story that we covered when we were covering the Elongated Man and the Atom. This is the story where Ralph Dibney is on uh, his honeymoon with Sue, and then he gets trapped underwater by that race that is this weird, uncomfortable white slavery thing going on with those aliens, and then Flash and Elongated Man stop that. Uh, we're not going to cover that because we already did, so we're just going to move forward uh, to The Flash, May 1961, number 120. Barry, Iris, Wally, uh, a scientist, and the scientist's granddaughter are all off on an expedition to prove that the continents were at one point connected. Oddly enough, that is now a widely accepted theory in contemporary uh, scientific and, you know, geological and geog you know, geographic circles. So... The reason this issue is really, really important is for two things. One, this is the first issue in which Barry Allen reveals that he is the Flash to Wally West, which I didn't really realize was a thing that hadn't been brought up since our Flash coverage, because what happens is 
Wally is made to believe that Barry is friends with the Flash, and Barry's doing that old switcheroo trick of changing clothes immediately, you know, to make it look like he's in two places at once. But since he's going to be on a trip with Wally and Iris, he's like, I'm probably going to have to be the Flash at some point or another, so I might as well just tell Wally, who's also Kid Flash. And now Wally and Barry are aware of their of each other's secret identities, and they're buddies and pals. Uh, Kid Flash shows up quite a few times during these stories, which is kind of nice. Um... His, it looks like his first couple of team-ups with the Flash, which is also really cool. But the story takes place uh, on this island where they're studying, you know, rocks, the geography, the topography, also the flora and fauna there to say like, hey, well, if lemurs are here and they're over there, maybe at one point those animals were in the same location and um, that was connected and that's why they exist in these two continents or two islands that are so far from each other. In the midst of all of this lovely science, a volcano erupts and somehow transports them back in time. A scientific gist of a volcano vibrating them through time is quite abstract. I'm I'm really enjoying the degree to which vibrations are essentially the Flash's Marvel magnetism. Like, you yeah. think about how yeah. Silver Age Magneto could do anything with magnetism. It's basically that with vibrations here. Thankfully, mostly restricted to, like, time travel and dimensional travel, though. Yeah. So, Barry and Wally begin to realize that they're in the past in the land of the Golden Giants, which is just the past where these giant gold people exist and we're terrorizing cave individuals and dinosaurs. They realize that uh, Iris and, and uh, the scientist and his uh, granddaughter are safe. Um, after defeating the giants, they go back to Iris, the scientist, and his granddaughter. They, using flash tricks, vibrate everyone through time again, and everyone's okay. But the scientist is like, look, I got this swell picture that I think will change the world. And Barry's like, oh shit, did he get a picture of me as the Flash? And it's like, nope, I got a picture of a lemur. I'm totally right. My theories are correct. And it's like, oh, thank God. Um, and that's really how that story ends is they go through the they go through time because of a, vol- of a volcano, fight some giants, and then uh, vibrate themselves back to uh, the normal time period. Now, I'm going to make a really weird pop culture pull here. This is a movie that I've seen a lot. You ever see the movie Catch Me If You Can with nope. uh, Tom Hanks and Leonardo DiCaprio? Fantastic film based off of a true story of a con man who was really young who basically conned his way throughout the United States and the FBI had to track him down. One of the aliases he used was Barry Allen <laughs> because he was like 16. And so he didn't think anyone would notice that he was using superhero identities as his fake names that he was going around as and there's a sequence of events in which tom hanks is going through a list of names on a piece of paper and a waiter goes like oh i didn't know you you read them too i just got the land of the golden giants issue (laughs) which is this issue that we just read and he goes like i don't know what you're talking about and he goes barry allen the the flash and then that sets the whole thing in motion that Tom Hanks realizes he's a young kid and blah, blah, blah. But it's just, I oh, thought that was a amazing. fun thing. I guess, yeah, that that's that actual story like happened. Uh, the 1960s. Yeah. Yeah. When that would when that would when that whole storyline was occurring, uh, which is just a fun little uh, fun little pull for you. Uh, catch me if you can buffs out there. Um, I only know that Catchers. because I looked that up. 
Yeah, for you cashers out there. Because I looked that up when I saw the movie. Uh, and I was like, oh, that's neat. I wonder if I'll ever read that comic. And lo and behold, here I am reading it for an entirely different reason. But it all comes full circle, man. Time's a flat circle. Uh, the Flash, number 121, June 1961. Uh, the trickster, James Jesse, escapes from prison and uh, basically snipes loot from other thieves that the Flash is arresting and pisses off a Flash and he arrests him later. It's not a very complicated story. The second story in this, however is Barry and Iris go to Barry's old college reunion where he meets one of his friends who is developing a cold fusion energy thing and spies of an unknown and foreign nature are trying to steal it and Barry helps him protect the plans while also helping him play matchmaker and getting the guy to propose to his longtime girlfriend. Nice, wholesome, no spies, all love story. Uh, the Flash, number 122, August 1961. This is the first appearance of Roscoe Dillon, the top, who is also one of the major rogues gallery villains of the Flash rogues. Um, Roscoe Dillon essentially figures out that if he spins really fast, he gets super intelligent and also can use top-themed gadgetry. Look, every single one of the Flash's <laughs> villains is, is like a weapons-grade engineer and R&D specialist for no reason other than a prison library. It really does keep coming back to it. Like, the, these are two-bit crooks. They're uh, Dick Tracy villains who yeah. happen to also be super scientists without acting like it at all. Right. And this, to me, really makes a solid case for the rogues over the Batman villains. Because these guys are super smart. Like, they're all Mr. Freeze. And the... Not to say that their plans are much more intricate, because, of course, Silver Age bad guys are going to have ridiculous, wacky plans. But if you look at the reasons why these people are the way that they are, developing tech on your own via your own, like, studiousness is ridiculously more impressive than i like riddles and i'm gonna steal shit and leave riddles in a place whereas like the top is like hey i've made a grenade that can destroy half the planet if it stops spinning <laughs> and you're like how did you even get the parts for that yep yep and, and so that's exactly what the top does is he's like i'm gonna blow up half the planet in a sort of kind of weird reverse speed way where you have to keep this thing spinning um and the Flash essentially kind of spins, runs around it so fast that it launches it into space and it explodes. And uh, the B plot of this is Iris is hanging out with Barry's French friend who is a super fashion icon guy. He gives Iris a makeover in which Barry thinks she's gorgeous and is speechless. But Iris thinks that he's speechless because he doesn't like it. So she just changes back to normal. But Barry's like, you know what? I still love you no matter what you look like. And Iris is like, you know what? I don't really want this if, if Barry's not into it because I just want to be pretty for him and it's like you know what this is a weird thing and i don't know how i feel about changing your look based off of what your boyfriend likes but also like if you're more happy to just look the way that you normally look based off of the way that you chose to look i guess it's okay but it's a weird way to frame it that if barry doesn't like it you don't like it so i want to weigh in on this plot line but from a completely different angle uh the thing that struck me there was he used the term b-plot this bugged me because it feels at the end as though it's one of the usual like uh barry allen goes out has an adventure as the flash and then comes back and has like a little closing sting 
little little moment to close out the story with Iris. But it has, I, I wrote this down, I think it's four pages out of this, I think, 13-page story. Like, it yeah. gets so much screen time, but it doesn't develop to anything. It develops to this misunderstanding, and it doesn't tie into the A-plot. Like, that's the thing I keep going back to, is it, it has screen time as though it's the secondary character of a movie. It feels like it should have an arc. It feels like that secondary character should be, like, the tipping point in the A character's story or something like that, and it doesn't. It just... This is one of the few times it's really felt like pages were misused. Yeah, it doesn't really track anything, and it doesn't shift their their relationship in any real way. It's just kind of like, eh, they're going to stay the same. It felt like they were setting up the character to come back. Right. No. Or at least, at least a shift in their yeah. relationship in which the way that they had were like, Iris called off their engagement because she was pissed off at Barry. So We thought we were getting another moment like that question about that like i think this was part of the same story or no it was an earlier one uh where iris was talking about barry dragging his feet about proposing uh, did did i miss something no i just did they forget you know something did they silently retcon that they're engaged it's uh, you know what she may have called off their engagement and they may not have become re-engaged I don't know. I'm not going to try and explain away what is what is clearly a clerical error, but you know, um, <laughs> my no prize is that they they've tempered their engagement due to her feeling slighted, and now they're just dating again. But she still wants to get married to Barry. Regardless, I, I like your no pl- no prize explanation. Yeah, I think she, I think they're on a trial period. Mm-hmm. Uh, Back to Flash 122. The second story in this is Wally saves uh, an ex-gang member who is going by like the Silver Mask, and he's a crooner singer type guy, and he's being used by his old gang to steal stuff, and he doesn't want to do it anymore. So Kid Flash helps him get out of that, and that was kind of a fun story. Um, here we go. All right, this is the big one. Everyone, pay attention. Get your pencils out. Flash number 123, September 1961. The Flash of Two Worlds. This whole issue starts with uh, Flash doing some magic tricks for a charity event that Iris Iris has set up for uh, orphan children or underprivileged children. In this sequence, the Flash is about to do a trick where he's going to basically spin a rope so fast that it stands up straight and he climbs up it and then disappears. He does the trick, but as he disappears he tries to vibrate his molecules really fast so that he appears invisible and vibrates, I guess, too quickly and disappears and pops out somewhere else. He's very confused about where he is. He starts running around. He's like, well, everything's kind of where it's supposed to be, but some buildings are missing and this isn't where the the, the place that I was just at is now abandoned and it's covered in cobwebs. This is really weird. Maybe I traveled in time. That's a thing that I do frequently. Me and Superman, we just accidentally travel in time due to speed. I'm going to go to a newspaper stand and see what day it is. Nope, nope, it's the same day. Wait a minute. Keystone City? I'm in Central City. That's weird. Looks at the newspaper guy and the guy says, Yeah, buddy, you're in Keystone City. What the hell's the matter with you? And then Barry goes, Oh, hold on. Maybe this will work out. Runs to, like 
a phone booth, gets a name down at a phone booth, goes to like a records, like a public records location, finds a name that he's looking for, and he finds a name of Jay Garrick. Now, for those of you who are familiar with our Golden Age coverage, Jay Garrick is the name of the Golden Age Flash. Flash tracks down the location of Jay Garrick, goes to his house, and he's like, hey, are you the Flash? And Garrick's like, I was 20 years ago. Garrick looks a little older. He's got that, like, Polly Walnuts hair and the Reed Richards sort of, you know, green, uh, gray on the side, but, like, regular uh, color hair on top. And uh, he goes, yeah, this is my wife, Joan. So Joan and Jay got married. And Barry begins to explain, I know who you are because in my world you're a comic book character. And I think that I traveled dimensions or universes because you know how with certain things if they vibrate at the same at different frequencies they can occupy the same space at once i think that's what's going on with our worlds and i came to your world and jay's like wow that seems like it's plausible to what i do because i'm a speedster um sure yeah i mean i was thinking of coming out of retirement because three of my bad guys have just teamed up and i want to go catch him and barry's like well can i help you so Jay dons the, you know, Hermes helmet and the, you know, shirt and jeans like he used to. And the two of them set off to fight the Thinker, the Fiddler, and the Shade. And the Shade essentially can command shadows and make things look like pitch black dark and you can't see him. Fiddler he has a Stradivarius that does hypnosis and or music sonic based problems. Kind of like the Pied Piper in the Flash's world, or rather in Barry's world. And... The thinker has some mental abilities due to a helmet that he's got. They do one of those like, ah, oh, we struck out with each of these guys because we're not sure how to fight them because Barry is unfamiliar with these villains and Jay's been out of practice. And eventually they get caught by the three of them. They figure their situation out and they defeat them. Now, Barry and Jay are like, all right, cool. This is great. We can probably travel back and forth between dimensions now once we figure out how this dimensional shifting thing works. Um, good, good stuff. I bet the comic guy who wrote the comics was dreaming and somehow tuned into your dimension and that was how he was writing stories about you. And that writer's name is Gardner Fox. And I swear to God, Gardner, I swear to fucking God. <laughs> oh, man. I swear if your, name, if your name comes out the mouth of any other comics characters or it appears on a comic or any of the characters that you worked on appear on other comics, I swear I'm going to find you in whatever life state you're in i'm gonna give you a piece of my mind because i can't stand that it's especially egregious it's especially since we know that this is going to set up and uh, spoiler this is going to set up the concept of the multiverse and to some degree like it's going to be a driving factor behind the increasingly knit together DC universe, the fact that it matters in this time makes it so much worse than all the other times it's happened. Yes, and I'm going to talk about that at the end of the summary. Um, but for all intensive purposes, what has just happened is who's writing these right now? Do we have a do we have a name? Is normally, it Gardner or is it is it Broom normally or Kanika? it's Broom? Uh, but this specific issue seems to be Gardner Fox. Yes, uh, Flash of Two Worlds is Gardner Fox. And then DC Wiki attributes the other ones that we've read to uh, Broom. Okay, so John Broom has been writing most of these, which is the guy that's been writing Green Lantern. And Gardner Fox, on a self-aggrandizing moment, tells everyone that he was the genius that, you know, decided to put both Flashes back together. 
So for all intents and purposes, we're going to say for a, a key for all of you listening, Barry Allen is from Earth-1. Due to a magic trick gone awry, Barry Allen transports himself to Earth-2, which seems to be 20 years in the future of the last we ever saw the Golden Age character, Jay Garrick, the Flash in, which tracks with chronological time. Because Jay Garrick stopped being published in the 1940s, and now we're in the 1960s. So 20 years later, Jay Garrick is older, not a speedster, or having lost some of his speed and endurance, and out of practice and retired. Now, that is Earth 2. Earth 1 is Barry Allen. Earth 2 is Jay Garrick. That's it. That's all we've got so far. Barry Allen has discovered that if he moves at a certain frequency, he can transport himself between universes we're going to make that distinction right now because i'm going to go into a conversation about the distinction and semantics between a universe and dimension Mm. because that bothers me the flash number 124 november 1961 this is after the flash of two worlds this one starts with a story that we already covered with the elongated man in it where the elongated man flash and captain boomerang team up to stop the world from aliens uh stop the world from being invaded by aliens we covered that in the elongated man stories we're not going to talk about it. The second story, however, is Flash fights a guy who can force people to do stuff that he wants them to do through the television. So radio waves and brain waves kind of get mixed and he's able to kind of force them to do whatever he wants. Flash beats him by tricking him with a pre-recorded broadcast that makes it look like he's being forced to do something and uh, finds where the guy is. We're going to move to The Flash, number 125, December 1961. The Cosmic Treadmill's first appearance. Yes. You don't know how happy that made me. Um, The Cosmic Treadmill is basically a time travel device that Barry has developed that allows him to control which vibrations he's he's aiming for, either for the past or the future. He calls uh, Wally over and he's like, hey, there's some aliens in the future who are trying to take over the world. But what they've done is they've gone back to the past and put something in our planet that is stopping all of our atomic energy, which is why all the atomic crap just stopped in 1961 which means if it stops in 1961 it's not working in the future so all the atomic weapons in the future are not able to repel the aliens i'm going to go into the future to stop the aliens i need you to go to the past and find their device that they put in and destroy it um it kind of goes back and forth between the two of them struggling with their tasks but eventually uh off screen not shown Wally destroys the device that is doing this and Barry is able to fight back the uh, fight the aliens back and use atomic weapons on them to drive them off of Earth. The Flash number 126, February 1962. Happy New Year. Sam Scudder's back, the Mirror Master, and he's just like, you know what? I'm going to I've been kind of avoiding this dimension that I found called the Mirror Dimension. And uh, because I thought it was dangerous. But you know what? If I figure out how to travel through it and use it to my advantage, I might be able to beat the Flash. So he puts himself inside the mirror dimension, which appears to be kind of a world within mirrors. He goes inside of it and it's ruled by Amazonian-esque women. And they've never seen mirrors before. And because he has a bunch of mirrors and can make mirrors, they make him king? question mark or he's some sort of like really important dude which is kind of a weirdly sexist statement that like women are so obsessed with looking at themselves they find value in that and they make him important um the big plot relevant point here is that they're all kind of telepathic and when scudder mirror master is like 
I'm going to get the hell out of here. I want to steal some stuff. They just start bringing him things that he wants to steal. And he's like, I can't steal anything. They're just giving me what I want. This isn't any fun. I got to get the Flash to get me out of here. So he basically just puts a bunch of mirror projections of himself all over Central City through the mirror dimension, hoping that the Flash will figure out how to get to him and bring him bring him out of the mirror dimension because he can't figure out how to get out. And then the Flash takes him to jail. Oh, thank God I'm getting arrested. Yeah, it's very funny. It's very weird. Uh, the second story is... Uh, Barry saves a childhood sweetheart uh, from being kidnapped. His childhood sweetheart is now a very famous movie star who's on her way back to their hometown of Fallville. Okay. She's on her way back to Fallville because her publicist is like, look, we need you to get some really saucy publicity, so I'm going to have you date someone from your hometown that you used to date, even though he's got a girlfriend, and it'll stir up some publicity for you. So I found Barry Allen. He's going back to Fallville to visit his parents. We're going to go on the same train, and you're going to seduce him and romance him. And she's like, I don't really feel comfortable with this. And he's like, shut up. I'm a movie producer from the 1960s. I'm a terrible person. And she's like, that tracks. So she kind of starts to lay on the charm with Barry, but realizes that she actually kind of really does still like Barry. And Barry feels awful about this because he's like, well, I love Iris. I got to tell her the truth. But in the midst of all of this, she, well, this woman almost gets kidnapped. Barry saves her as the Flash. And then he kind of tells her the truth. And she's like, I actually feel better about this because you have a girlfriend. It would have been kind of disingenuous to do this. He leaves. And uh, the kidnapping provides enough publicity that her career, again, is now on the ups. But she realizes that she was in love with Barry Allen all along. And now she's tortured by the fact that she let him get away. Uh, That's the end of our coverage. Now let's get into the good stuff. We had the term dimension brought up just now when talking about the Mirror Master going to the Mirror Dimension. We have seen Green Lantern, Flash, Wonder Woman, and Superman bring up the concept of dimensions frequently these dimensions kind of vary now the mirror dimension seems to be an extra land elsewhere that is occupying within the realm of space and time its own world green lantern goes to the antimatter dimension which appears to just be another planet or location it'll eventually be like a whole universe the antimatter universe but he travels to and from that to fight the quardians Wonder Woman has done some kind of dimension hopping occasionally. Superman does some dimension hopping where he's found, like, alternate realities. Like, different timelines, things like that. And then there's alternate universes. So there's got to be some sort of distinction here between a dimension and a universe. Because that one time Superman found an alternate dimension where there was a guy who was very similar to him but hadn't left his hometown and it had like a Supergirl that was like, well, that was that was a planet. But there, there, there are other instances where he's gone to other dimensions and seen stuff and seen like different timelines and then come back to our dimension. A dimension seems to be a subset of a universe. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a universe encompasses all the fields of locations within this location. So... A house is a dimension within the universe of your neighborhood. That's kind of how I've been reading this. In the sense of also, you could say, like, the dimensions are, like, one-dimensional ideas, two-dimensional ideas, three-dimensional ideas, four-dimensional Anything to do with a sense, possibly. Visual, auditory, etc. Um, but that seems to be the distinction here, because we're not really going to get multi-universe or multiversal theory for a while, but the idea that there are different universes, like 
Earth-1 and Earth-2 is going to be very important when we cover JLA next. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to express that there's there's a difference between a universe and a multiverse, or a universe and a dimension. Two neighborhoods are universes. The houses are the dimensions within those universes, if that helps you think about what's going on here. That's really the biggest takeaway from this, is now there has to be some sort of disambiguation between what everyone else has been doing and what Gardner Fox is now doing. Because one of those is going to take, the others aren't. That being said, Barry revealing his identity to Wally is a really big deal. Another new rogue, the top. The cosmic treadmill, which is going to be a thing forever. Um, You even see that in the Flash television show. They have a a version of it that tests Barry's speed, and he occasionally uses it to generate speed force, etc. I think they even refer to it once as the cosmic treadmill. A lot of really cool stuff in here, but the biggest important thing within these stories is the Flash of Two Worlds storyline, which is a landmark situation for comics in general. Also because this is DC kind of testing the waters to see, can we bring back those guys from the Golden Age? It's a lot of experimenting going on in that single issue. Can we bring our old fans back? Can we introduce new fans to old characters? Can we pull this off? And if this is successful, can we do it with the rest of the characters that we had to let go? So part of me thinks DC's going like, do we really have to keep making characters? Or can we just bring back our old ones? And I wonder if that's what this is, is them seeing how viable really it is to just reuse their old Golden Age properties. Because we're going we're gonna to continue to see new characters popping up in new teams like the Metal Men, the Doom Patrol, um, throughout the Silver Age. But the return of Golden Age characters is interesting because you've got a second Superman, a second Wonder Woman, a second Batman, presumably. And then you've got like Our Man and Dr. Midnight and the Sandman and Dr. Fate. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes. And it's interesting to me the specific form that it takes, too. Um, First off, cards on the table. Like, the story itself, the best thing that that story has going for it uh, is the idea of the multiverse. That introduction is the the best part of that story by far. Uh, Everything else is... Uh, it's a very standard even a little subpar uh flash story uh the ending is a little even more just okay i guess they figured out something without foreshadowing it or it really making sense that's not a strong point of these comics in general but there really isn't anything special about the story except for the idea and the cover the cover is so good good and i wonder to what degree if the cover hadn't been this good the idea was going to come back at some point at some point the multiverse was going to come into play but if the cover hadn't been there would it have been a big enough hit of a comic that it took this form because there are interesting choices that get made here that i think are extremely idiosyncratic to gardner fox uh the fact that his ego said, I want Barry to be reading issues of uh, Jay Garrick's stories, and as a result, needs Jay Garrick to be this older figure. And, okay, suddenly, 
those characters time has gone by for them so we get uh black canary uh, is the second of her line uh catman is an older hero as compared to oh these are like mirror versions uh, that are the same age yeah i the co- the common trope you normally see is like oh what weird twist happened here you know instead of yeah like you said batman and catman or superman and ultraman and whatever like that you know these are this is a very distinct difference between oh what strange twist occurred in this world that made it different and these are just the old versions mm-hmm. these are just the old versions that we had to put away because the comics code made us and they're and they weren't selling well i i think it's more the latter at that point but uh yeah like fundamentally these these wind up being shaped as the old versions themselves uh and that's fascinating to me yeah because we we will we will eventually see those those alternate twisted what if versions very Mm -hmm. soon earth three is the crime earth right yeah the justice uh, the the crime lords or the injustice syndicate or whatever name they've taken at that point (laughs) yeah i would love to know more about the backstory behind the making of this issue because if gardner fox was brought on to write this specific story for the flash there had to have been some kind of planning oh sure Uh, it would not in any way surprise me if julius schwartz was doing the like this as a test Uh, i think you're exactly right on that score but yeah i mean like there must have been discussions why why give it to him the guy who's writing jla who's going to write Crisis on Earth 2. That's the other big thing that comes out of this, is the fact that it's it's Gardner Fox's vision of the multiverse, which means that he carries, from it being a flash-flash story, he carries that idea into the JLA, which is already a crossover, and then he does the crossover with a crossover. In If it had been anyone else tasked with writing uh, The Flash of Two Worlds, like, do we get them bringing it to their stories? Does that have as much of an impact on the future of the franchise as if it had been on the team book of JLA? Right. Just wild. Because while, while Gardner Fox is good about bringing things from other people's books, as we've seen evident when he brings in the other villains, we've never seen him bring in plot points other than those villains. Yeah. So if John Broom had written Flash of, Flash of Two Worlds... Would Gardner Fox have taken the entire idea and brought it into the JLA? Or would he have retconned it and done something different? Or would have, or would Julia Schwartz been like, nah, I don't like it. There's a lot that changes here with, with the idea of one person difference. If John Broom wrote this, would it have would it have ever have happened? Not that John Broom is a slouch, mind you. We love John Broom issues. We love Green Lantern. These are okay comics for Flash. I mean, they're not really as special because he's not getting the same world building that Green Lantern is getting. But this is clearly the better issue because it is the most groundbreaking. And they gave that to Gardner Fox. Mm-hmm. It's like pulling your starter out of your starting lineup and saying, hold on, we're going to put the sixth man in. And everyone's like, why? And they go, because he's good at free throws. It's it's a definite decision that's going to change the game and it's going to make you win. But everyone's going to notice if they're paying attention. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to be in that room. Yeah. Between if, if God willing, John Broom was in those, those conversations where Schwartz was like, we're going to make Gardner write an issue of Flash. 
you sure? I got it. No, Gardner has an idea and he's going to run it for JLA. And I want him to do it with Flash. Like, why Flash? Why not Green Lantern, who'd been going to different dimensions? Why not Superman? Why not Wonder oh, Woman? that's a... Th- like, it's a plot point yeah. for Green Lantern to do to dimension hop because of the Quardians. Of all the characters, why Flash? I would be curious to know how much of the driving force behind this was Jay Garrick being a popular character. Mm. I wonder how much it was we think we can bring back this character but not that character huh. yeah and and because yeah you're right because he had the comic everyone else appeared in flash comics yeah i wonder like now i guess alan scott was in flash wasn't he uh no he had green lantern green lantern had his own book oh okay but that's the thing is gr- but more characters appeared in flash comics than they did in green lantern green lantern was just about him flash comics had other people it was like action comics but Mm. why not alan scott and you've only got two options here alan scott or jay garrick they're the only two characters who were completely changed who who have different secret identities true because aquaman never had one he was there for a bit and then went away dr fate doesn't exist within this universe as of right now martian manhunter was a completely different character Bruce, Clark, and Diana are the same people, just with different backstories this time around, or just different modus operandi. Alan and Jay are completely gone. They're not even around. That's a good point that part of my brain goes to, and previously went to, like, yeah, it could have been anyone, but you're right. Like, it doesn't make sense to do it if it's the same character, the same exact character, and it doesn't make sense to do it if it's a completely different character. So having it be this character who has the same alias, but not the same char- not the same person, is... Yeah, it's, that works really well. It's the closest we get to the Batman-Catman thing. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I'm Green Lantern. Well, I'm Green Lantern too, except I use magic. And my lantern was from a train thing, and it's made of magic. Mine's from space. I'm a space cop. I was trying to find hard water, which is just ice. I was trying to find hard water, and the chemicals turned me into the flesh. I got hit by lightning. Huh. Yours is way cooler. <laughs> like, that's, that's, but that's what's happening, as opposed to, hi, I'm Bruce Wayne. Mm-hmm. I'm Bruce Wayne. Uh, my parents were killed in alley. So were mine. Oh, wow. We're, we're the same person. You're just 20 years older. Maybe. It's unclear. Versus completely different. Again, what was the decision? Why not GL? Was it like a <laughs> coin toss? Because they're both being written by John Broom. Both of those reboot characters are John Broom properties. So either way, they would have had to have spoken to him. I wonder I wonder if he got to choose which Ooh. comic got sacrificed. Yeah, I wonder if John Broom... If he, was, if he thought of it as like giving it up for a month. Because he's definitely putting more care into Green Lantern. There's more, there's more effort being paid there. So I wonder if he was like, don't, f- Which is, yeah, like, don't fuck up my universe of cops. Do whatever you want to the guy who runs, but don't fuck up my space cop. Yeah, I, that's an interesting bit. Like, on the one hand, the story possibilities that the multiverse offers feels like it should be a more natural fit with, like, the world building focused one. But on the other hand, 
there's already so much at play in the world building focused Green Lantern universe that adding the possibility of the multiverse in to there may throw it more off. That's an interesting perspective I hadn't thought of. It, again, it's what was that room like? Mm-hmm. How did that conversation go? All right, he's going to do something to and, one of your characters. Pick out, pick which one you want. And then how much does he crow about it after the sales numbers come in? Yeah. Like, I, we don't have, yeah, we don't Gardner know much Fox about him. Gardner Fox seems like he's got an ego. Gardner Fox, I mean, for, for all we know, because we haven't really heard much about Gardner Fox. Like, there's no people going like, oh, man, Gardner Fox was an ass to work with. Like, everyone seems to be generally like, no, Gardner Fox was, like, really good at what he did. I have never seen, like, a negative take on Gardner Fox. And I wonder if it was just bringing the pinch hitter, the guy who writes all the sci-fi books. He's writing Adam Strange, The Hawks, JLA, his own science fiction books. He wrote those characters to begin with. Maybe he was picked because, hell, he wrote them in the Golden Age. Yeah. He'll know what to do. He'll know how to handle them. Just give them to him. They're his characters anyway. Screw it. Actually, that would make a degree of sense because at this point, they're probably, within the past 10 years, they probably had all the lawsuits around Superman ownership and Superboy. I wonder if there is that sense of, like, let's not add more people in who could get, like, credit for reinventing the character. Just, like... This guy already has some claim to it. Just let him keep with it. He's still with us after 20 years. He's a loyal soldier. Give it to Fox. Is that the extent of our coverage of that specific issue? Uh, I think so, yeah. I mean, if you have if you have a couple notes. <laughs> there's a reason that we've been talking about uh, Flash of Two Worlds for a while. Like, for all that, I, I at least wasn't hugely enthusiastic about the story itself. This takes everything in a direction. Uh at least once things start building on it. So I'm really I'm really excited to see the JLA issues coming up. Yeah. Uh I've got I think three main chunks that I want to kind of touch on. Um and the first is Infantino's art. I I think actually almost all of these are art related. I love some of the pieces of Infantino's art. Specifically yeah. like the the first one that comes to mind is sometimes he gets the chance to just pose a character. I'm looking right now at Flash in a glass bottle, and he's like, he's not on his knees. It's like, you know when you like sit down, but and your knees are bent in front of you, and then he's got his like one hand to his forehead. He's like twisted to the side. One and his other hand is like on the ground bracing him. And you can see the outlines of his musculature. There's another one where he is being held by the golden giant. And he's just sprawled in in the hand. Like the guy is holding him up and uh, his feet are coming out one side. And on the other he's got, he's like bent in like a ballet kind of arched arch front stomach pose uh one arm like pushing slightly up against the hand the other like on at his side and his head is just like arched back it reminds me most of like those dramatic grecian sculpture poses like mm. you think about um uh, you think about uh michelangelo's david uh and how that's not a person standing like solid square 
It's David with one hand up and the other hand down, his ang- his shoulders at a bit of an angle. It's resting as a dynamic state. I think it's uh, how to draw comics the Marvel way, or I think mm. it might be that. Talking about how if you're leaning against the wall, you look super relaxed, but in actuality, what's going on is all these different muscles like keeping you from sliding further down, from sliding side to side, keeping you at that angle. Uh, there are some of these amazing shots where it's a character who is still not like a dramatic action shot, but it's clear that there is the potential of motion. It's like, uh, I think there's also a Greek statue of a man like twisted in the discus throwing pose, but not in the throw portion. Like he's taught, he's done the twist and he's about to untwist and then throw. Like that's how some of these look. It's, it's classical, I guess. It's romantic capital R. Yeah, I can... There's artistry to it. It's not just pulp. And I want to be clear, like, not every single panel is, like, is that uh, lovingly drawn, but the ones that are, like, have stood out. Also, just the attention to detail sometimes and the thought that goes into it, like, there's a shot of the Mirror Master in a room, like with a bunch of mirrors set up to end up with him looking at a mirror and then bounces to another mirror, bounces to another mirror, bounces to another mirror, and then reflects what's outside in the in the apartment, like, across the way so he can see things without being visible. And it's just like, yeah, the angles actually do kind of work out. Like, I love the, the attention to detail on that one. One of the other bits, uh, we're not at the stage where we have, like, those romance comic panels like we did had for uh, early Green Lantern, but we do get a lot more uh, intimate shots. Uh, a lot of these panels are either framed by like you get that sliver of a person's face as they're looking out at stuff, or you just generally have like closer to the people. You get that like upper torso and up shot so that we're, we're more grounded in people's reactions to things instead of it being that, at a at arm's length kind of situation. Uh, the other bit that helps with that is the compositions work out really well, specifically with regards to word bubbles. Uh, one of the things I'm starting to realize is a lot of the Silver Age comics, they just kind of have like the top third of the panel be covered by a word bubble. And then there's the space below for the person. But what... Uh, Infantino is doing is he's he's still got about as many words on the page ultimately the bubbles take about as much space but they're off to the sides they're in the corners you don't have the entire top of a panel have like text immediately below it instead you've got it like the panel I'm looking at right now is Anton uh, the French friend he, he is holding uh, Iris's hand uh, he is the left third of the panel, uh, and then she is a little bit lower in the second third over, and then uh, Iris is or Barry is in the background in the uh, more distant in the uh, right third, and the biggest text bubble is in that distant third, uh, so that it doesn't feel like 
it doesn't feel unnatural that Barry is getting like squi- it doesn't feel like Barry's getting squished down by this giant word bubble, which is what we see so much of because he's already distant and because there are these unoccupied spaces in the rest of the panel there is space for Anton to feel not just close but also tall Iris has enough space where the top of her head doesn't feel cut off by the word bubble either it's this intentional placement of word bubbles uh, and intentional construction of these uh, panels and mixing it up to have like that extra width instead of being panel panel it being one wide panel it's very intentional and it makes it not feel as squished by the words. I'll, I'll end on a more, more throwaway note. So it seems like the time travel rules of flash, at least in the story that we read of uh, specifically with the cosmic treadmill where kid flash goes back in time and flash goes forward in time. It seems like it's working off of a principle of, Time goes forward, but only in the time that you're experiencing. So there's the point where Kid Flash goes back in time. And before he leaves the past, he has already fixed the issue that's keeping all the radioactive stuff from being active. But Adult Flash, only like halfway through his expedition, does that power come back online. Uh, I am a sucker for time travel stories that have like relative time from when you the time traveler are in there uh so this was just that was just kind of happy and fun but more important than that is that in that story so nuclear devices in the present time are not working and like for a good day or so they're not working yeah and it's in the newspaper they have published in American newspapers that something isn't right with America's nuclear capability. Now, it doesn't specifically say, hey, our nukes don't work either. But yeah, that sure is effectively what's going on here. And it's super easy to read between the lines on that one. And no nuclear power would ever admit that their nukes had stopped working. God, no, that was the only thing that kept Stalin. Well, at this point, I don't think at this point, Stalin wasn't around anymore. I think it shifted to Khrushchev. Uh, But if especially during that initial period of the Cold War, if uh, someone had gotten up and said, yeah, our nukes don't work anymore. The Red Army is immediately in Paris. (laughs) Yeah, that was entertainingly dumb. Yeah, that's about all I've got for today. As for recommendations, I'm going to recommend a game I bought recently that I started playing the other night, actually. It's called Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. And it's a very interesting narrative game where you are a traveler, a drifter sort of character. And one night you lose a poker game to what is effectively a spirit. It's a, a... it has the body of a man in a suit, but the head of a wolf and the person demon, whatever you want to call it basically says, you now owe me your labor. What I want you to do is collect stories because this country is nothing but stories. It takes place in the United States about the 1920s, 1930s, just after world war one, but it looks like a while after world war one. 
And your job is to basically be a hitchhiker and collect stories along the road and tell those stories to specific people who tell you better stories and then bring those back to the person who owns your soul. And there's a lot of like tarot card imagery for like stories that have to do with freedom or change or love or horror or sadness or, you know, authority and stuff like that. And basically you come across things that you experience and then you retell those stories to other people or you travel throughout the world and someone else will have seen the thing that you saw, but they'll have a different version of that story. And maybe that story is more entertaining and it'll be more useful to you later because that story is more fantastical as opposed to you saw a guy talking about seagulls and how the seagulls indicate that they're a fish again and the town can exist for another year because if there are fish there, they can fish and they can pay for the town. Whereas when you walk, when I walked, you know, from Maine to Ohio, because the game kind of takes place on this like giant map of the United States and you're like a little skeleton with a, like a rucksack and a, and a hat on, um, I went to Ohio and I heard a story. I heard a woman talk about the same story, except she was like, oh, no, the seagulls talk to him. They tell him where the fish are. So he gets the <laughs> best catches of the day. And you're like, that story's better. So now your version of the story changes to the one where the seagulls talk instead of just the seagulls indicate that they're a fish. And the next time you tell someone that story, that story could be more effective because it's more entertaining, more fantastical. And they're like, oh, wow, I really like that story. Because some of the people on the road that you meet are like, man, I could really use a joke. Do you know any funny stories? Or like, hey, I, you know, I'm really missing my brother. Do you know any stories about family? And if you tell them stories that they want to hear, they trust you and then they open up about themselves and then you can tell people about them. It's a really interesting game and I, I, I don't know how much replayability it has because it seems very straightforward and, you know, complete the, to complete the task of getting the stories from the people that you're supposed to. And then tell them to the, I guess, the antagonist at the end. But it's just a very interesting concept. And I really kind of like it. It's got like folk music and blues and like martial music that you're walking to from of the period. And it's just a kind of a fun narrative experience. And it's kind of worth checking out if you ever get the time to. It's called Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. On my end, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Uh, I'm going to recommend Crazy Ex-Girlfriend again. Uh, we've talked about this one in the past. Uh, uh, Rebecca and I just finished the show and well oh, worth ended, a watch. Right? This was, this was, this was the final season. Yep. Yeah. And it's, it's all on Netflix. It's for like 12 to 14 episode seasons, uh, each episode an hour, uh, highly recommended. It's definitely, it's not that there are two different shows in it, but there's, a pretty radical change in I'm struggling because it's not the thesis of the show. It's not that the essence of the show is different, but the way it treats things, uh, a layer of pretense gets stripped away from the characters. Uh, and both versions of the show are quite good and highly recommended. Uh, and if you're a fan of musicals, like give it a try because it's I think three or four musical numbers per episode and some of them are quite good and will stick. Uh, you know what didn't have great musical numbers and didn't stick the lion King. That's all Ooh. I'm going to say. Not terrible, 
but everything good about it, almost everything good about it, came from the original. Mm. Yeah, like that's a shame. It was so restrained instead of cartoonish. If you if you want the point driven home, like look up or listen to the new version of Be Prepared. It's just a talk on tempo with a little bit of like background instrumentation. All right, that will do it for us for this episode. With all of this newfangled stuff happening, clearly we must go somewhere with this, and where we're going to go is directly into JLA, and we're going to catch up and see just what happens and what this means for the DC Universe now that we have a multiverse. So we'll see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The formation of the Justice League had started to stitch the universe together, and now Jay Garrick's arrival started to define it into an entire multiverse. The more the shared universe's cosmology was defined, the more it would standardize, down to a single Atlantis and full of crossovers. We made a note to update our files on the crime-infested Earth 3, but that was still a ways away. For now, it was time to check back on the League.